Welcome to the IFF podcast on cancer awareness. My name is Jim Bernica with Dane Firefighters Local 136. So this week we highlight the concern around a class of chemicals known as PFAS. These chemicals have been identified in consumer products such as Teflon pans, popcorn bags, waterproof outerwear, and are also in our firefighting PPE and AFFF foam. This podcast will highlight the research on this topic and what we can do to reduce our exposure to these chemicals as firefighters. And today I'm joined by two special guests. First, we have Jason Burns from Fall Rivers, local 1314. He's also the Professional Firefighters Massachusetts District 8 Vice President. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you very much, Jim. It's an honor to be on the show with everybody. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And then uh, following you is uh, our good friend, Dr. Derek Irwin. He's a firefighter in L.A. County for local 1014. He's also the IAFF Chief Science Advisor. Welcome to the show, Derek. I'm glad to have you here, too. I'm jealous of your weather as well. <laughs> yeah, I'll try not to rub that part in. But uh, thanks for having me, Jim, and, and a pleasure to be here with you as well, Jason. It's both cold where Jason and I are at right now, so we're just jealous. But all right, let's jump right into this stuff. Jason, let's start off the question with you. How about telling us how you found out about PFOS to begin with and how these chemicals has impacted your department? So really, I had become president with about five, six years on the job, pretty involved, but uh, never really heard anything about the, the PFAS issue. But shortly into my tenure as president, we ended up with one of our members passing away probably six weeks after I took office. Uh, Paul Chippendale has passed. He was young, 37 years old. You know, cancer is not a new item in our world. So uh, his age kind of shocked us. And, um, you know, we kind of moved through it, dealt with the pain of, of the loss. Uh, and then, you know, two years later, we ended up losing Adam Franco. He was 32 years old, brain cancer. And at that point, you know, I get cancer as part of the fire service, but I, I, I guess as a president, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's going on in my local. How can I help? What do I need? Now? And curiosity led me through a lot of places on the internet. And obviously uh, social media was one of those players and just happened to come across some social media posts from a firewife just basically expressing a desire for someone, anyone to listen to her. Um, and that was Diane Carter out of Worcester. Her, uh, her husband had recently been diagnosed with cancer and she had come across some information about these chemicals and had led me to believe that maybe Europe was doing some things that we're not. And so I asked her for as much information as I could. I was curious. Uh, if you know uh, Diane, she has, um, you know, volumes and volumes of information and it was a lot to comb through. You know, in, in initially, I just thought this conversation was way above my my pay grade, way above my, this was science, I'm a firefighter. And, uh, you know, so that, that, was, that was a difficult thing for me to kind of get through all of that information. But that's really how it was brought to my attention and uh, really just kept working with Diane and, and, and trying to get more information and met a bunch of people around the country who were taking on this issue. So, Trying to respond to the problems in my local uh, and, and, you know, make it safer and better for our guys. No, thanks for sharing that, Jason. And, and you mentioned in there, you mentioned science. And I think that leads right into bringing Derek on and, and just talking to him about uh, the research that's gone on regarding PFAS in firefighters and, and also kind of what's coming down the line regarding research re regarding us uh, and PFAS. 
Yeah, so taking it from the top, uh, the International Agency for Research on Cancer uh, classifies PFOA in particular, that's perfluorooctanoic acid, which is one type of PFOS, as a group 2B possible human carcinogen, and the EPA uh, also looks at PFOA and PFOS as, as possible human carcinogens. And the scientific community as a whole is looking at PFOS as a class of chemicals that, that's hazardous to human beings. And we know from occupational and community studies that have shown that there's an increase in uh, bladder, testicular, kidney, prostate, and breast cancer associated with exposure to PFOA and other PFOS chemicals. Uh, and there's also an increased risk of a number of non-cancer adverse health outcomes, such as hypertension, thyroid and kidney disease, and liver damage. So these are the things we know insofar as how PFOS can affect human beings. So then when it comes to the fire service, we know from occupational studies that firefighters have increased levels of blood serum PFOS as compared to the general public. And also that uh, some of those PFOS in particular are associated with uh, epigenetic changes, such as epigenetic age acceleration in firefighters, which are uh, basically differences in DNA methylation. Uh, and that's a type of epigenetic modification that can regulate gene expression and is associated with increased risk uh, for cancer. So we know that in our line of work as firefighters, um, historically, we've been exposed to PFOS through the use of, you know, the legacy AFFF firefighting foams uh, that, that were, were used uh, in decades past. And we also know from recently published studies using analytic chemistry approaches that all three layers of our structural firefighting turnout gear or our bunker gear uh, contain PFOS. Um, so when you connect all of those dots, we come to something known as the precautionary principle in the scientific community. Uh, and that's where we say that, you know, essentially based upon the weight of the scientific evidence that we've seen thus far, preventative action is called for. So that's what we know up to this point from the research that's been done thus far. And so then your other question is what type of research is in the works? Well, one of the first ones is, you know, we'd like to eliminate PFOS exposures of any sort, you know, from, from our line of work, uh, or, and also from our daily lives, for that matter. I mean, you're aware that PFOS is in everyday things like food packaging. Um, so one of the most important fields of research is uh, research into alternative materials and substances for use in the fire service, right? Whether that be PFOS-free foams and or PFOS-free materials that we can use in our turnout gear. And I, it, when we talk about turnout gear, when we talk about our bunker gear, I want to be really clear about something when we're talking about alternatives. Um, and, you know, nobody is calling for turnout gear that is less protective than what we currently have. Rather, we're working very hard to identify and develop alternatives that are as protective uh, for those of us uh, in the fire service while eliminating any possibility of PFOS exposures. Um, you know, and that, that's, that's not science fiction, right? Um, material science community now in the 21st century is quite advanced and you know we ought to be leveraging uh, the outstanding research institutions that we have here throughout the United States. The other thing is research into interventions that might be able to reduce levels of serum PFOS. Uh, there's, there's some of that coming down the pipeline right now in the planning stages. Uh, and also research examining uh, dermal exposures to PFOS through turnout gear uh, is also in the works. Perfect, thank you so much for sharing, Derek. Now, with all that being said, Jason, we have this in our gear right now. It's going to be there for a little bit longer, at least. What can we do right now to reduce our risk of these chemicals 
in our day-to-day -day operations? That's a great question. Thank you, Jim. Uh, so really, when, when we started down this road, we talked about we need information, education, and, and legislation. And that's how we we're going to combat this. So part of what we're doing here is the is a little bit of both information and education, right? We're educating our members continuously that this stuff is in our gear, right? It is, I, I know we get some mixed messaging from maybe uh, companies or people who are producing these, these things, but it is in your gear. It's in everybody's gear. These chemicals are known to, to be carcinogenic, right? So now that we know it's there, how do we deal with it? Right. My gear is still probably going to be worn for the next six, seven years. Even if it changes tomorrow, I'm going to have PFAS in my gear. So I really like the IF coming out with a safety bulletin or um, a note that, you know, basically describing ways that we can deal with it right now. Right. So the education process. So don't wear your gear unless it's absolutely needed. Um, if you got a medical call and, and you know, on, on, a, on a beach somewhere in the degree heat, you probably shouldn't be wearing your structural firefighter. Eliminate exposures that we really don't, um, you know, where you don't need to deal with that. So uh, wear it when you need it, or actually, like Derek said, when where it's, a, it's a product that is absolutely needed in structural firefighting, but it's not needed for a lot of different calls. It's certainly not needed for, you know, your grocery shopping. Some people you know, I have a tendency to wear our gear in the cold weather. I know we're all you know, experiencing a cold snap right now, but don't, you don't have to wear it while you're outside shoveling. So eliminate those exposures because they're unneeded. Make sure you, your, your apparatus cabs are, are clean. Um, you know, you're going to be handling your gear constantly throughout the day. Uh, so you got to make sure you wash your hands, things like that. Uh, so the, the chemical is shedding. And we got to make sure that throughout the day, we're ensuring that we're doing our best to clean ourselves and our environment. So, you know, that's that's really important, you know, day-to-day -day things that we can do knowing that the gear, uh, you know, is is full of PFAS. And, and then we go into to bigger items. And I think that's being worked on. We're looking at legislation. We are trying to eliminate its use in our gear. You know, we're looking at different, you know, ways to uh, address standards that basically you know, require the use of, of Teflon and PFAS in, in your moisture barrier. So that information, education, and legislation, that's, that, that's you know, the, the real work that we're putting in right now. I think we've done a pretty good job of getting the word out there and telling everybody this is what's going on. We still have some doubters or maybe some folks who, who think that, um, you know, it's a little bit blown out of proportion, but I think the information is there. So the education right now is really important, and we're going to continue doing the legislation as we go forward. Well, thanks for sharing, Jason. Not even like to add on to that. We still see all the 9-11 stair climbs going on. You know, of course, those need to continue, but we really shouldn't be wearing our gear when we're doing those. You know, I know we have to train like, we, like we're actually fighting the fire, but if we can avoid exercising with that stuff on, that's going to be ideal because we're going to reduce the exposures. I also still see, and I know I was guilty of it, and you can call it being naive, but the baby pictures where we're putting our brand new newborn children on our gear, we could prevent that as well. You know, you mentioned NFPA, Jason. You know, Jason, Derek, we, we were all involved at the TIA with the IFF a couple of years ago. Uh, what's the current status right now with the NFPA regarding these PFOS chemicals? Because, you know, until NFPA, you know, gets that out of their way, that's really going to be the holdup from us having 
fluorine-free, PFAS-free gear? Just looking at NFPA, they are in the process of taking public uh, comment on what they have put out there as a first draft for their change. I believe the next change in the standard comes in 2024. So there is, they are accepting public comment until January 4th. I believe there is a subsequent hearing in March of 23. And to back it up a little bit, we had put in TIA 1594, which I think addressed the, the UV light degradation test, which uh, in our opinion, I think we thought it wasn't necessary and we could protect firefighters without that um, test and, you know, still be protected in, in our structural firefighter, water repellency, all of those things. So they originally turned it down. It looks like they have taken uh, that information and in, uh, looking to remove the UV light test from that standard. And they're looking to kind of add a few things in there. Like there's gotta be, uh, I believe a notice on the gear that would say that it's PFAS free. Um, I, I'd, I'd like to develop that a little bit because who's gonna be telling me that it's PFAS free? The same people who didn't tell me that it was full of PFAS for the past 60 years or whatever it was. But um, so it's interesting. So the, the process is ongoing. Uh, we're gonna put in some public comment. And, uh, obviously we're gonna continue to push. So uh, I think it eventually could change in, in 24. I'd love to hear what uh, Eric, uh, Derek's um, input is on that. Yeah, so with the NFPA standard being in a revision cycle, the IFF uh, submitted a public input, which is distinct from a public comment, to remove the UV light resistance test for moisture barriers from the uh, standard for structural firefighting ensembles. And, and um, the reason the IFF did that was because you know, our turnout gear, our bunker gear consists of three layers, an outer shell, a moisture barrier, and a thermal liner. So currently, the moisture barrier is subject to a UV light resistance test. Uh, and the moisture barrier is the middle layer of our turnout ensemble. So the outer shell is what's exposed to, you know, light. And uh, when you're, you know, see a firefighter out on the street, you're, and they're in their gear, what you're looking at is that outer shell, but the outer shell is not subject to a UV light resistance test. So there was sort of this inconsistency insofar as, well, okay, the outer shells, which consist of blends of para and meta aramid fibers, which do degrade under UV light, uh, was not subject to a UV light resistance test, while the moisture barrier, which is underneath the outer shell, was. So we submitted a public input asking for, for that performance standard to be removed, for the test method to be removed uh, from the NFPA standard. And the idea here is that our turnout gear works as an ensemble of all three layers. And when it comes to the performance of our gear, it should be tested as an ensemble, not you know, as individual layers. So that was the idea behind the public input that the IFF put in. Um, as Jason mentioned, that's open for public comment right now. And uh, from there, uh, once public comment closes in January, the revision cycle will go forward with uh, next steps uh, to be determined as that process continues, um, which I'm sure you have more about from the IFF. Perfect. Thank you for sharing, Derek. So Derek, staying with you, we're learning so much about these chemicals right now regarding firefighters and just the fact that we have all these additional exposures to PFAS, what kind of research would you like to see down the road for us? Yeah. You know, you and Jason were both commenting uh, a few minutes ago on just minimizing exposure, right? Like the importance of not, uh, you know, taking uh, baby pictures uh, with, with our used gear. Um, so when it comes to 
the elevated incidence of cancer and cancer mortality in the fire service, that's a result of everything that we do as firefighters, right? That's why you're probably aware of the International Agency for Research on Cancer just this past summer reclassified firefighting, just the firefighter occupation as a group one known human carcinogen, right? And, and, and that's different than saying like our occupational exposures to known human carcinogens. They're saying occupational exposure as a firefighter in and of itself is, is a known human carcinogen. And then associated with that is all the occupational exposures that we have to other known human carcinogens like benzene, like uh, PAHs, like benzo-apyrene. And, and, and it really is a massive list that goes on and then includes really complex carcinogenic agents like shift work with circadian sleep disruption, right? Which is currently a uh, classified as a probable human carcinogen. So the challenge that we face is that we're exposed to all of those things because the job always comes first, right? Our duty is to put the public's health, safety, well-being ahead of our own. And we do that readily because that's our duty. That's what we're sworn to do. And because that's our duty, exposure to all these carcinogenic agents is always going to come along with the job. But what we have to do is kind of look at it like drops in a bucket right? Like Jim, you maybe heard me use this analogy before, right? Where if you take a bucket and you put it underneath a faucet that leaks really slowly, right? Like just one drop at a time and you just sort of watch it. It seems like it's never going to fill up because it's just one drop at a time. So then the problem happens when we turn away and stop paying attention to that bucket, right? But if you come back like 12 hours later and take a look at it again, well, it filled up right? And it filled up one drop at a time, and now it's overflowing. And that's how we have to look at our exposures in the fire service is as drops in that bucket that may eventually fill, and then God forbid, lead to a cancer diagnosis that we see all too often among our brothers and sisters. So what we have to do is do whatever we can to keep every drop out of the bucket. So Jason mentioned, you know, the, uh, the guidelines, the best practices from the IAFF about uh, minimizing PFOS exposure from bunker gear, Right. And then other just simple things that we can do, like staying on air during overhaul to just keep every drop out of the bucket. So that's the exposure issue there. Right. Now, we're not going to keep every drop out of the bucket. And that's where the research comes into play. Right. Because the exposures are going to happen. So what we do is uh, in, in the academic community is we look at biomarkers of exposure and biomarkers of effect when it comes to our job. And biomarkers of exposure are things that we can uh, quantify to determine what chemicals have gotten into our body, what cancer-causing chemicals have gotten into our body. So you can do that by taking a urine sample and looking for something called uh, hydroxylated pHs in urine or muconic acid which is an indicator of exposure to benzene. And again, and that's quantifying what cancer-causing chemicals have gotten into the body. From there, you want to look at biomarkers of effect. So those are things like epigenetic changes, such as changes in DNA methylation, changes in microRNA expression. Um, we can quantify epigenetic age acceleration, uh, DNA mutagenicity. These are things that are a result of those exposures. And those are the things that increase our risk of cancer, those epigenetic changes, those genetic changes that increase our risk of cancer. So the goal of research going forward when it comes to cancer in the fire service is quantifying the biomarkers of exposure to PFOS, to PAHs, to benzene. And then from there, quantifying the biomarkers of effect, right? 
kind of uncovering the mechanisms that are at play, what things go wrong with our cells that increase our risk from cancer as a result of those exposures. So again, to loop back and repeat what I said at the beginning, it's studying the biomarkers of exposure, i.e. what chemicals got into our body, and the biomarkers of effect, i.e. what effect uh, insofar as cancer-promoting genetic and epigenetic changes are happening as a result of those exposures. Uh, and, and that's really the direction that research should continue to focus because by uncovering uh, those mechanisms that are at play, that's how we can figure out how to uh, implement preventative interventions, right? Where we can hopefully reduce exposures or reduce toxicity in hopes of putting a dent in the uh, elevated incidence of cancer in the fire service. That's some great stuff going on there, Derek. Let me say again, if I haven't told you already, I'm glad you're on our side, brother. Thank you so much for that. Now, Jason, let's kind of close things up here. You know, what are your concluding thoughts regarding this whole subject? We've come a really long way in really a short amount of time once we found out that this was even a thing in the fire service. And we really have come a long way in, in a short amount of time. I think, you know, I, I think my initial conversations with Diane were somewhere around 2016, early 2017. And here we are wrapping up 2022. And at times it probably felt like a decade or two going through the process and trying to educate and inform and try to get, you know, as much of this stuff out there as possible. But if you look back now, and I think we are on the verge of major changes, um, <laughs> in some respects feels like it was also lightning fast to get to this point. So um, pretty, pretty good uh, to, to be a part of that. Obviously, I'm proud of our organization. They have really, you know, stepped up to ensure that our members are going to be protected here. And, um, you know, it's great to be a part of that. For, for, for me going forward, I love that we're still educating and informing and having this conversation. And I, and I love that we continue to do that. We don't say it once and move on. And I, I think we're grabbing more and more of our membership to listen to that and to hear it. But I, I say at least once a week or once every two weeks, I get a call from a member that says, hey, my, my gear rep is a, is a good friend of mine. He said we don't have PFAS in our gear. Um, or it's only in, in minute amount around the reflective portion, right? And uh, I'm sure Derek could more eloquently state it, but I think that is um, not true at any level. That You know, all, all of our gear has you know, the PFAS in there. There are some companies who can the outer shell that is, that is PFAS free. Um, but for, you know, companies to kind of tell firefighters, hey, that, you don't have to worry about that in our gear. Uh, that's frustrating. So that is something, that's why I think it's really important for us to keep having this conversation and toting this football down, down the field a little bit because um, we're exposing more members to, to the conversation and the education. So we're not there yet. I'm in, in, you know, immensely proud of our organization and, and, you know, all the people that, you know, you guys that, I, that I've met along the way, what great relationships we've made, you know, we're going to change this and, and we are ultimately going to win. Uh, it's also to the larger point of cancer in the fire service. This is, this is one slice of that, that pie. There's a lot of different angles here. So uh, we're making big inroads with PFAS. I'm, I'm thrilled with that. And uh, you know, I think that's what we got to do. Keep the conversation alive. Yeah. And if I could just uh, second what Jason's saying, this is a grassroots effort, right? This happens because of guys like you, Jim, and you, Jason, who, who champion the cause, right? And um, if we don't advocate for ourselves, nobody else is going to advocate for us. And then one other key point, and I always love to get up on this soapbox <laughs> when I'm talking with brother firefighters, is when I started off, right, as a, a firefighter 
you know, married, two kids at home, uh, mortgage, just making life work. And uh, I lost my brother to cancer and uh, decided to do something about it after my brothers and sisters on the job with the LA County Fire Department took care of my family in those tough times. And I went back to school and, uh, you know, uh, became a scientist. And, and that's something that's not out of reach for any of us in the fire service. Um, anybody can do anything as long as you set your mind to it and you're interested in it and you're passionate about it. And, um, you know, it doesn't have to be chemistry per se. It's whatever you're interested in. The sciences are not inaccessible to those of us that are firefighters. You know, I, I went back to school and had the full support of my brothers and sisters on the job who helped me uh, get to class, <laughs> you know, uh, make, make it to class each day and, and, and still make it work as as a firefighter and a family man as well. So it takes champions in the fire service, but then also firefighter scientists and not one firefighter out there listening should think that they can't uh, go back to school, learn something that they're passionate about and become a scientist as well for the good of our brothers and sisters. Perfect. Thank you for sharing. So uh, let's wrap this up. PFAS uh, 2023, January firefighter cancer month. I'm Jim. Thanks again to Jason. Thanks to Derek. And uh, hopefully we'll even have more information for you next year.